morning, everyone. I'm Josh. Good morning. Uh, so I thought I'd give you an update to start with on how youth went on uh, Friday night at my house. So we were going to have a bonfire, but as I was informed by the kids, that wasn't a bonfire, that was a campfire, because it was so small. <laughs> Furthermore, yeah, don't use green trees and don't let it rain on them. So yeah, the first half of the night was the kids showing me how to build a fire. So that was rather embarrassing for a church that calls itself Ignite. Uh, yeah, so anyways, all that aside, we did have a good time playing a bit of basketball and getting to know one another. And uh, if you're a teenager and you haven't said hello to me yet and you'd like to come along, please see me after the service. Also, we're looking for some more leaders because uh, currently we have heaps. We've got two, my wife and I. <laughs> so um, it would be really great if you feel the Lord's put it on your heart to um, be a blessing to teenagers and just hang out. You don't really have to do anything fancy. It's just good to have another set of eyes. And if you've got a heart to build relationships with these kids, then yeah, come see me afterwards and we can have a chat about it. All right, so this morning, as Darren said, we are looking at the miracles of Jesus. The miracle I've chosen is the miracle of uh, Jesus healing a paralytic. So um, the passage today is found in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 to 26. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen behind me um, as we go through the various verses. Uh, this account's also found in all three of the synoptics. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the same story. But we will be looking at Luke's account. So Luke chapter 5, verse 17 to 26. I'll just read it to you. Now it happened on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd... They went up on a housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he was lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, starting back at the first verse in this passage, verse 17, it says, It happened on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So this verse sets the scene for the rest of the story. The ministry of Jesus was beginning to gain traction and the religious leaders were beginning to take note. And these religious Jews had come large dis distances to come and hear Jesus teach and see him perhaps perform a miracle. Now we've got to be careful when we interpret passages of scripture, especially if we've been Christians for a long time. Uh, I was searching through a few Bible commentaries and they were really harsh against these Pharisees. Like they were basically saying these men had specifically come to attack Jesus and find a reason to put him to death. But I think that's a little unfair. These religious Jews were the conservative Jews of their day. 
Uh, and it wasn't all of the Pharisee party that was against Jesus. Furthermore, this was early on in the ministry of Jesus, and so it was likely that they hadn't quite come to a conclusion on him yet. So just be a little bit careful when we come with our preconceived ideas. I want you to remember that Nicodemus was also a Pharisee. Now you'll remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3. He was the man who came to Jesus by night and he said, you know, Jesus said to him, you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. This same Nicodemus is seen later uh, in the gospel of John to be a man who was defending Jesus. He was a Pharisee defending Jesus before other Pharisees. And the last time we see Nicodemus is at the end of the Gospel of John. And Nicodemus is one of the men who came with spices to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus. And so there was a believing Pharisee among them. And I'm sure there were many more believing Pharisees. So don't automatically assume that all the Pharisees were evil or bad. Now, in the passage on the screen behind me, I want you to notice that the ministry of Jesus included both teaching and miracles. Unfortunately, many churches today tend to focus on one ministry over the other. Some churches are so focused on healing the sick, speaking in tongues and prophecy that they neglect to teach the word of God. I want you to see that the ministry of Jesus was balanced and that the miracles and signs accompanied accompanied his teachings. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 states, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. So the whole purpose of his miracles were to accompany Jesus's teachings and to reveal something about salvation, about the nature of God, about God's plan for our lives, both now and in the future resurrection. Now, there's an interesting phrase in this verse. It says um, that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Some of you might be thinking, like, isn't Jesus God in human flesh? Uh, Wouldn't the power of God always be present to heal people? I want to give you two explanations that might bring some clarity on this passage for you. Firstly, Jesus never did anything on earth independently of his Father in heaven. He was completely reliant on God as an example for us of how we should live in dependence on God in everything. So if you look back at the previous verse in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, just before this story, we read that Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and he prayed. Now, this is the secret behind Jesus's power in his ministry. Jesus was by nature both God and man, but he chose to empty himself of his right to act independently from the Father in heaven. He came as a servant and willingly allowed the Father to do the works through him, rather than taking upon himself to act as God independently. Now, again, lest you stone me to death, let's go look at the Bible and let's see what it says about this so that you know I'm not telling you fibs. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So what we learned from Peter is that God did the miracles through Jesus as a signpost pointing to Jesus as being sent from God. So Jesus did nothing on earth by his own authority unless it had first been given to him to do by his father. Even before his teaching and healing ministry began, Jesus first had to go to John the Baptist, was water baptized, and it says that the spirit of God descended on him like a dove. So Jesus was anointed with power 
by the Holy Spirit to perform the miracles. We read in Matthew 12 verse 28 that Jesus cast out demons by the Spirit of God. So even though the evil spirits knew who Jesus was, he still cast them out by the Spirit of God. And to confirm this, we read in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, when Peter was preaching the gospel to a Gentile named Cornelius, Peter explained, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So to be perfectly clear, so I'm not misunderstood, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he came to fulfill the requirements of the law by living a perfectly righteous life as a righteous Jew. And he needed to live a life in total reliance on God in order to be our representative and our substitute. Jesus received the judgment and punishment which we deserved on the cross so that we could be treated as if we had lived a righteous life before God. And that's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. God this morning can treat you as if you had lived the righteous life of Jesus Christ. So back to our passage in Luke chapter 5, and verse 17, when it says that the power of the Lord was present to heal, heal them, it could also be in reference to the fact that those who were hearing his teachings believed in him. Now, this might sound odd to some of us, but the healing ministry of Jesus was often hindered by the lack of faith in those who heard him teach. We read in Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 to 58, when Jesus had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. And then Matthew writes, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. All throughout the gospels, when people came to Jesus to be healed, he often said to them, according to your faith, let it be done to you. For those who believed that Jesus could heal them, he was their healer. For those who came to him for forgiveness, he was their savior. You see, God doesn't lack the ability to help you, but if we in our unbelief reject his help by not coming to him like we should with expectancy, we're going to miss out on the blessings that God has for us. So if we go to our next slide, I actually have more than one slide this morning. Surprise! <laughs> Let's continue reading in our story in Luke 5. So it says, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on a housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, I want you to try to imagine this scene. Jesus is in the middle of preaching a sermon to a house full of, I guess you would call them prestigious religious leaders who have traveled great distances to hear him teach and to see his miracles. And a couple of locals must have realized that Jesus was in the area, hence the crowds. And so they determined to help another man, a paralyzed man, get a chance to be noticed by Jesus. But the house is so packed with people uh, that they, they can't enter through the main door. So they, they end up climbing onto the roof of the house, dragging this man up to the top of the house, to the roof, and then they open the section of the roof to lower him down in front of a packed group of religious leaders with Jesus teaching them. Now, what can we learn from this scene? Firstly, it's costly 
for us to bring people to Jesus. Imagine the physical exertion it took to lift a disabled man to the top of a house to pull apart a roof and then lower him down through a hole in a roof. Not only did that take time and effort, but it was also at their own personal expense. According to other accounts of the story, there were so many people at the event that there wasn't even room at the front door because of the crowd of people that were seeking to see him. So although there's no record of the responses of the people that were in the crowd, no doubt they would have noticed that this group of men were dragging this guy onto the roof of the house. And so just imagine what the things that they would have been saying to them. They would have probably been ridiculing them or maybe telling them to hush up. There's a meeting going on here, guys. You're disturbing the meeting or asking them, what on earth are you doing? It not only took them time and physical effort, but bringing this man to Jesus would have also cost them their reputation. They were essentially interrupting a church service. And I don't think that the religious leaders who had traveled these distances were too pleased with that. So what can we learn from this? Well, we need to be willing to make an effort to bring people to Christ. For some of us, it will take time as we spend years interceding in prayer for friends and family that they might come to know him. For some of us, we need to be willing to suffer persecution for the sake of Christ. I don't know about you, but I've actually lost friendships before because I've wanted people to know about Jesus and obviously they didn't like that very much. So I've I've lost friendships over it. I'm sure you have too. But we do it for the sake of people coming to know Jesus. We want people to come to know Jesus at whatever cost. Even if they slander us behind our back, we want them to know Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you want to be a follower of Jesus this morning, it will cost you your time, your reputation, your money, your effort. Christianity is not about giving you a more comfortable lifestyle. It's about going to those in need of Jesus and pleading with them to come to him so that he might heal them and set them free. And we too need to have faith. We need to be fueled with faith as we go and we bring people to Jesus. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap um, if we do not lose heart. And so this morning, if you're working hard to bring people to Christ, family members, that sort of thing, keep working. Don't lose heart. We'll reap if we keep working at it. Now, as we look at this story, it's also important we consider the response of the people in the home who are interrupted. Now, Jesus is probably halfway through his sermon, like we are right now, and imagine if dust particles and bits of straw and things started falling on your heads. Like, it it wouldn't have necessarily been a comfortable experience. It would have interrupted the whole meeting. And we as Christians need to be willing to be interrupted for the kingdom of heaven's sake. There might be a person in need that you need to talk to. You might need to interrupt a dinner. You might need to interrupt only clustering with your Christian friends because there's someone out there who needs to hear the gospel, someone out there who needs to hear Christ. It takes effort to go out and be interrupted for the kingdom of heaven. Um, the other thing we need to consider is that this man on this stretcher, he, he, hasn't, he, he probably hasn't bathed. He probably smells bad. He's probably lying in the same clothes he's been lying in for months. He's probably got stains and, and scars and sores and all sorts of things. You know, he's a beggar on the streets. And so we need to be willing to go to all types of people because the Lord Jesus was concerned with all kinds of people. 
So I want to remind you from James chapter 2, when he's addressing the church in the, in the book of James, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a man with filthy clothes who is poor, and you would pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here by yourselves. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So God cares about the poor. God cares about the smelly people. You know, he cares about the addicts. He cares about the homeless. And let's not forget them. The gospel is for the poor. Now, if we have a look at the next scene, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins? but God alone. Now, did you notice at the start of this verse that it says Jesus saw their faith rather than saying that he saw his faith? You see, there's no doubt that the paralytic himself had faith, but Jesus also acknowledged the faith of the men who brought him to Jesus. Remember in the letter of James that the kind of faith the Bible talks about is a faith that, that acts upon what it believes. It's not an empty head knowledge. When you truly believe something, the works will follow. So the question we ask is, why did these men bring this cripple to Jesus? Well, it's because they genuinely believed that Jesus could meet his needs. There's no other explanation to why they would go through so much effort to get this cripple before Jesus. So why is it today that Christians neglect to pray for people or to invite them to church? If it isn't out of selfishness, I would suggest it's because we do not truly believe that our prayers will be answered. We need to come to God in faith, not only for ourselves, but also on behalf of others that need, them, need him. These men demonstrated what faith in Jesus looks like. It looks like putting effort in in order that others might come to know him. Now, to the surprise of the religious leaders, Jesus responded to this man's faith by declaring that his sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and religious leaders were right to question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, what comes to mind when you hear the word sin? Often people reflect on things that they've done, uh, maybe that they've hurt people. Have you ever deceived someone before? Have you ever spoken a harsh word that hurt someone's feelings? Have you ever stolen something that wasn't yours or blown up at someone in anger? We as humans sin against each other all the time, but we often only think on an earthly plane. We think about sinning against another human. However, the Bible is clear that when we hurt one another, our offense is ultimately against God. Because when we choose to do evil, we choose to rebel against God as our king. And we set ourselves up as our own deity. We usually end up justifying ourselves rather than acknowledging that we are accountable to the one who created the world. Now, when the prophet Nathan confronted King David over committing adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, David answered him, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't say, I have sinned against Uriah, the woman's husband, or I have sinned against Bathsheba. I have sinned against the Lord. Later, when he wrote about this in Psalm 51, verse 4, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. When we mistreat others, we reject God's commandments and we become his enemies. 
If God is the one we have ultimately sinned against when we fail to love others, then only God is the one who can truly pronounce that we are forgiven. If Jesus were just another prophet or religious teacher, he could never have pronounced someone forgiven of their offenses because the offenses were against God. He is either God or he is a blasphemer. There's no middle ground. Jesus never left us the opportunity to just reduce him to a good moral teacher. He never left us the opportunity to assume he was just a man or just a prophet. He is either a blasphemer or he is Jesus, the son of God, the son of man that we read about in scriptures, the exalted one in whom we worship, who ultimately we will be accountable to on the day of judgment. Now let's talk about the necessity of faith. You see, Jesus forgave this paralytic of sin because the paralytic trusted in him. Even before the cross and the resurrection, every Old Testament saint was forgiven by God on the basis of faith. Way back in Genesis chapter 15, we read that Abraham was pronounced righteous by God when he put his trust in him. Genesis 15 verse 6 says, Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And then Paul develops this argument further in Romans 4 when he explains that Abraham was declared righteous by God, not on the basis of any good works and not on the basis of religious observances, but on the basis of faith. We literally cannot say sorry enough times to God's. We cannot pray enough. We cannot do enough outward works of charity or religion to earn our forgiveness from God. The whole human race is guilty, but God has promised mercy and forgiveness to anyone who comes to in faith, just like this cripple did. So that's for us this morning. You know, you may not be a cripple, but we are all spiritually crippled without Christ. And you can come to him this morning if you come to him empty-handed in faith, knowing that he alone can forgive you of sins and he alone is our only access to God the Father in heaven. So two chapters later in Luke chapter 7, Jesus encountered a woman who was described by religious leaders as a sinner and an immoral woman. This is the story about the woman who came and clean Jesus' feet with the tears and her hair and the, and the oil. And it's most likely that this was a well-known local prostitute in the area because the Pharisees knew who she was. That's why they called her an immoral woman. So Jesus said to one of these Pharisees, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 50 denarii, the other 500 denarii. So one owed $50, one owed $500. And when they had nothing with which to repay him, he freely forgave them both. And he said to this woman who'd come to him, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, it doesn't matter this morning if you think you're a good religious person or if you're a prostitute here this morning. The Lord Jesus forgives you freely when you come to him in faith. Can we have the uh, next slide, please? It says, when Jesus perceived the thoughts of these religious leaders... He answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that you might know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man that was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, Jesus asked the question to them, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise up and walk? So which is it? Is it easier to heal someone who is paralyzed or is it easier to forgive their sins before God? 
Well, the answer is clear that both are impossible with man, but not with God. God can do both. So the, the Pharisees were questioning the reliability of Jesus' first statement. Jesus had said to a man, your sins are forgiven of you. And the Pharisees are like, he doesn't have authority to forgive man, this man's sins. And so what Jesus does by healing this man at the same time is he proves the authenticity of his first statement. You see, you can't see if a person's sins have been forgiven before God or not. But when he heals this man, this man gets up off the ground and walks. Jesus says, listen, I have the authority of God to not only raise this cripple off the ground, but also to forgive his sins before God the Father in heaven. Now it also says, that Jesus said to them that he did these things so that the Pharisees would know that the Son of Man had authority on earth to forgive sins. You may not realize this, but um, some people, you know, if you were asked the question, what, what's, the, what's the major title of Jesus in the New Testament? Like, what's the major title you, Jesus uses of himself? Some people would probably say, well, maybe Savior. Some people might say, oh, well, the Messiah or King or something like that or Lord, some would get closer, they'd get a bit warmer and they'd say, well, maybe son of David. Jesus was referred to as being the descendant of David. But in fact, the number one title of Jesus in the four gospels is son of man. Jesus was referred to as the son of man more than any other title in the entire New Testament. Now, what on earth did he mean by son of man? I'll give you some examples firstly of Jesus saying this. So in Matthew 17 verse 22, Jesus was prophesying of his death and future resurrection to the disciples. And he said, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. And as another example at his trial in Matthew 26, when the high priest interrogated him and said, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So from these scriptures, there can be no doubt about what Jesus meant when he referred to himself as the son of man. And the Jewish audience would have picked up on this straight away. The title son of man comes from Daniel's uh, vision that he received in Daniel chapter seven, verse 13 to 14. So this is around the sixth century before Christ was born. It's a prophecy, it's a vision of the future. Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. The son of man in Daniel's vision was a kingly figure appointed by God to reign over all of the kingdoms of the earth. It was said that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom that would never be destroyed. By declaring himself to be the son of man, the Jews understood that Jesus was proclaiming himself to be the king of Israel, appointed by God, whose kingdom would have dominion over all of the kingdoms of the earth, and it would be an everlasting kingdom. What are some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended up into the cloud? 
like after his resurrection, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We as believers are currently living under the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose kingdom will have no end. So if we go back to our passage, Jesus said to this man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. So immediately the paralytic arose up before them, took what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Like the majority of Jesus's miracles, there's no doubt that this was a genuine miracle. Um, I've been in churches before where when they pray for you, if you've got a headache, they say, oh, what's the pain levels now? And they said, oh, it was like an eight, but now it's like a six. And people are like, yay, look, he's healed. And it's like, well, I've still got a headache. (laughs) The Lord Jesus, when he performed a miracle, he performed a proper miracle. This man was so physically restored that he was able to pick up the mat that he was lying on and walk to his home. He, he didn't lack any strength. This wasn't the power of positive thinking. This is the Lord Jesus exercising his kingly authority that he has received from the Father to exercise a healing miracle in this man's body and to spiritually restore him and bring him into right relationship with God. So because the man believed the words of the Lord Jesus, he responded with action. He didn't sit there and argue with Jesus and say, I'm a paralytic, I can't get up. When Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven of you, rise up and walk, The man said, well, he gave me a command. And so he thought, well, I'll try to use my legs. So he got up and he's like, wow, my legs work. He picked up his mat and it says he went home glorifying God. The man believed the word of the Lord Jesus and he acted upon his word. And so that's a challenge for us this morning too. Are we going to believe the words of the Lord Jesus? Or are we going to be like these Pharisees who said, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Is Jesus a con man? Or is he the king of the universe? Is he truly the son of man who has received authority over all the kingdoms of the earth? I, uh, I spoke to a man this week who came into my office and told me that Donald Trump's about to get back into power again and that he controls the military and that Joe Biden is sitting in a green screen room because he hasn't entered the White House yet. And he told me when Donald Trump comes back into power in the next 12 months, He's going to bring peace over the entire world and he's going to completely redesign the governments and it's going to be a time of prosperity for all the nations. And I said to him, wow, we don't need Jesus then. (laughs) Like, Donald Trump is not my savior. He's not our savior. No human earthly figure is. Every human king in history past has failed us. Look all through the Old Testament. Every single king failed. King David, the greatest of the kings, commits adultery and then commits murder. Every earthly king has been tainted by sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ was the sinless king of kings and lord of lords who has dominion over all of the earth. It has been given to him by his father in heaven and he demonstrated this by performing miracles, miracles that no one else can replicate, including rising from the dead. I'll become a Muslim if Muhammad comes back from the dead. But the fact is, Muhammad is dead. No other human has ever demonstrated power over death, power over the human body, power over the elements like the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, God's spirit was upon him and he performed mighty miracles to attest to the fact that God was with him. He is the only way by which any of us might be saved. And this morning, we need to come to the Lord Jesus in faith. 
We need to lay our lives before him and say, Lord, apart from you, like I'm nothing. Apart from you, Lord, I have no righteousness. You are my only access point to the Father in heaven. And that's all I have to say this morning. So um, let's, 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 just finish in, let's just finish in prayer. So Father in heaven, we thank you so much for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of man. We read in Daniel, you, the ancient of days, you appointed him to be king over the nations, king over us, to rule as savior, as judge, to bring forgiveness of sins. We thank you so much that anyone who comes to you with empty hands, Lord, that you receive them. Lord, it doesn't matter if they're a prostitute, doesn't matter if they're a cripple, doesn't matter if they, they're born into a Christian home. Lord, you receive us on the basis of putting our trust in you. And we acknowledge this morning that there is none like you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. All authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. And your name is greater than any other name that is named so that every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we acknowledge you as our King and we worship you and we praise you in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.